Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett. Today, we're joined by Shannon Swan and Georgia Fillmore. They're from Resolution Media. Shannon's the company director. He's also the filmmaker, and Georgia Fillmore's a producer. Today, they're on the podcast because we're going to discuss the making of their documentary film, The Great Separation, that is now streaming free on SBS On Demand. The Great Separation is a groundbreaking social insights documentary that follows a protagonist, Joey Fry, on his journey to understand loneliness and connection. It's guided by experts along the way of award-winning filmmaker Shannon Swan and cultural observer Simon Hammond, and it's produced with his team, including Georgia Fillmore, who's on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about this wonderful documentary that brings many people to tears, but also happiness and joy. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So let's just start by um, telling the audience about who you are, um, both Shannon and Georgia. And then maybe while you do that, tell us what inspired you to embark on making this great documentary, The Great Separation. We'll start with uh, you, Shannon. Yeah, uh, my name's Shannon Swan. I'm a producer-director. Um, I kind of grew up in the indie film scene of the 90s, so that gives you a bit of an idea about how old I am. Um, and I've basically been making documentaries my whole film career. So I just love the idea of exploring walking in someone else's shoes or taking uh, a window into places that I don't normally get to go to. So I've done films about uh, Indigenous, about um, Italians, about... Uh, ice hockey teams which is pretty crazy fun um and this one is about um loneliness so i i guess that whole journey started coming out of the lockdowns in melbourne which we had quite a few i don't even can't even count how many really we had in the end and simon hammond an old agency friend of mine um who's an expert in belonging uh contacted me and said let's catch up for a coffee at the end of uh 2021 um which we did, and I didn't really know that he was planning on or had been doing a lot of work on um, the area of loneliness over the last five years with a, with a company um, that was interested in exploring a film. So he, he basically put the idea in, in my head about the topic, and I think the unique experience of being in lockdown for a couple of years uh, had given me my own window into loneliness and separation and, and what community meant you know um friends family and and just our life in general where we're connected constantly so it obviously piqued my interest and he, he suggested i go and do my own research about the topic um which which i did and i i, I couldn't believe the breadth of influence in our lives across many different areas um and how wide-ranging the effect of loneliness was. And I think the stat that really stuck out to me was that one in four people now report a problematic level of loneliness in their life. And that that was a stat that I just went, wow, this is really a full-on topic. So it was something that I um, absolutely wanted to explore and I thought it was quite timely seeing them, that we'd all had our own experience with it. What about you, Georgia? Yeah, so I have a really eclectic career. I've worked in production for maybe over 10 years. I don't know. It all has melted into like a long time. <laughs> um, but I have worked on basically everything from like advertising to sport TV, which if you know me is pretty funny. Um, I wrote and produced sport TV for a long time um, and then started working with Shannon a couple of years ago. But I, when I first started in production, I wanted to work in on documentaries um, and kind of forgot about that dream. And then it's kind of come full circle coming back here. Yeah, working um, on this. How did you meet uh, Shannon? How did you come together? Um, just like a traditional job interview, coffee. But we actually, the industry is quite small in Melbourne, or everyone knows everyone. So I had worked with people that Shannon had worked with, and so um, we met initially for coffee, and they, I think they. I actually don't know the timeline. I get it mixed up, but I think they had maybe put in a good word for me then. I actually don't know. Or maybe it was after, but yeah, <laughs> we knew people in common. And then, yeah, we just met for coffee. And um, it's very important for this type of role 
how you work together and your personality and your goals and um, the way you work is very important. So usually for this type of work, personality and how, yeah, your views on things is it's kind of like things you want to touch on when you meet. Yeah, I could see that. So let's step through uh, for the audience that hasn't seen the film yet. Um, you know, I think the interesting question is um, how you came up with the title, The Great Separation, and and how you landed on the thread for the film being uh, Joseph Fry or Joey Fry, who's the protagonist, and how you came, like for people that aren't in filmmaking and documentary filmmaking, uh, I'd l- really love to know the process of, when you have nothing in front of you, like a blank page and you're writing a book, you know what I mean? And you have this big topic, how the, can you just take us through the landing page? (laughs) Yeah, no worries. I mean, basically you start off with um, just a one or two line sentence that kind of describes what you want the film to be about. So it's basically called a log line that just describes what the film is. And then you work to a paragraph and then you work to a, a longer synopsis uh, or treatment. Um, but just going back to your first question about um, where the title came from, uh, that was a brainstorm of Simon Hammond and I, um, but I give him way more credit than I do. I just like the name. And I think um, as one of our experts, Andrew Dawson, who's an anthropologist from the University of Melbourne, said loneliness has always existed. You know, we, we need it to survive, really. Um, or, or that anxiety and threat, we need to survive. And so it's always been around, but I think we're going through an acceleration period since um, the 1900s and the Industrial Revolution. So The Great Separation, I think, is a title that we might look back in 50 and 100 years and look back at this time and go, wow, that we our lives really did change in a big way over that 200 years. Um, so I think it's more of a reflective title of where we're going to be than than something that's looking forward. So I think oh, when so he you're, said that, you're taking an evolutionary mindset on that, not just yes, a yeah, I think one so. One. Uh, yeah, I think you know it's kind of like uh, the the great extinction that happened. You'll probably correct me on this. Sixty five million years ago, or something like that. At the time, they probably weren't aware that they were going through it. Um, but we look back now and give it a label. So I think I was just preempting. Um, that what's actually happening to us now but basically when i make a film i start off with you know the log line and then work through it and then we uh basically i place cards on the wall of every single scene that i want to uh have in the film so basically and i can send you a photo it's quite interesting looking back about how close the end film actually ends up being yeah. of these cards on the wall and every scene i kind of plot it out and obviously there's room to maneuver within those scenes, um, which we'll talk about later on. But I basically have an arc of a whole film. And part of that was actually figuring out, do I want an expert who goes to kind of talk to regular people about their experience, kind of like the the Todd Sampson experience that he does with Body Hack? Um, or do I want to flip it and do where we have a personal experience and they go searching for answers? And we kind of settled on... Uh, the second one, purely because there's so many experts. It's not like you go to one person to solve this big puzzle. There was a lot of experts that we wanted to to talk to. So the first part was really mapping out the film and then um, figuring out what experts were the experts in their field and then um, making that happen. And I think that's where Georgia kind of came over. I kind of mapped everything out and then Georgia took that and was really in charge of um, finding the people we wanted to talk to and, and figuring that all out. So she can touch on that if she if you want to go through that process. So can I just say, before we just quickly move to that, so you're saying you'd already mapped out this idea of finding the person to interact before you even met Joey. Yep. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Georgia, tell us about your. The experts. That's how we met. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We really, um, it was, it was in January when we were doing this, which is a quiet time for production. So we were like deep in research and I we had a lot of time, we spent a lot of time basically looking up, like mapping out the areas of where we needed people to speak and we aimed very, very high. So we went for every single expert we really wanted. We didn't think logistics. We just thought, who do we want? Who's the best person in that field? Um, 
And then from that point, and, and even finding them, sometimes it's it's always a bit different. Sometimes we would find them from our own research. Sometimes, um, like with you, Selena, a friend had listened to you talk about neuroplasticity on a podcast, and then I did my research on you. So um, it, it all came from like an organic process. And then from there, we did like a lot of background checking. I tried to find clips of everyone talking before I even reached out to everyone too, because you want to see how people present and then obviously emailed and phone called. And then we met everyone in person. Um, We obviously met you in person um, and sat down with you. And that's where like the gut instinct kind of came into play and making sure we were aligned. And as we said to you, then we didn't want to put words in your mouth, but is this, are we going down the right track? Is this something you're comfortable talking about? Kind of that's like the process we took. And we were really lucky that, Everyone was really excited. We barely got a no. We pretty much got yeses, um, which was quite, I don't know why I was quite surprised, but I was. It was like a nice surprise that everyone was just, must be like a like a nice Australian trait that everyone was just so happy to be a part of it and excited. And um, yeah, it was quite a rewarding process, really. It's quite, quite nice to bring out that part of our country to, like, yeah. to try and show the goodness in people because yes. we, we always just see the bad of people, to be honest, mostly yeah. these days. How yeah. was that experience for you, Selena, um, from the other end? So we contact you out of nowhere and say, hey, be in this doco. Um, and then, you know, sitting down and, you know, we're kind of interviewing each other really just to see yeah. what yeah. that chemistry is like. And also in my head, I think by the time we contacted you, we actually had Joey in the yes, frame. You had, but... yes. I met you in a coffee shop in Melbourne. I remember. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It was good coffee. Uh, I remember too. Yeah, yes. that's my favorite coffee shop. Yes, thank you. Know for... I really cared. Yeah, thank you for taking me there. My uh, my husband's children live in Melbourne too, and actually, my life's work is to get to the public like you to make lives better. And so, to see people wanting to do that and and take their expertise and see what you've already done in the past and and see that you care to do that with your time and you know this is expensive work and to think that you would take some of that uh capital and put it behind something like this uh, i will support anyone that does that to make our country better and to bring us back together again and so that's just who i am as a person and i think and what i see from all the people that you interviewed and how you put the whole thing together um everyone trusted that you would trust that you would do the right thing by us too and and you did that and i think that's the authentic part of the film that ends up emotionally bringing people into the film that i saw sitting in those cinemas when you did the first first go at uh, bringing it out and that was joy for me cuz i'm like not only did you help joey take this journey which he is the hero obviously um and we all love him, don't we? Because he, by share, as you say, on the website and everywhere, which we highly recommend, everyone can go to the website, greatseparation.com.au and hear about the making of the film, but meet Joey too. And, and you know, he put himself out there on front, on screen around Australia. Not many young men would do that. So we had to wrap ourselves around him, didn't we, to make sure that he was protected and safe and that people respected his ability to go out and help all these people. He's helped a lot of people by sharing his story. So that's kind of why we all said yes, I think, too. Yeah, I think um, his vulnerability and his journey definitely opened the doors uh, in many ways for us to uh, get a lot of great people involved. Yes. So, so let's yeah. tell that bit of the story now, Shannon, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, okay. This is a great it. story. Yeah, I, um, serendipitous has kind of become a word that Joey and I use for our lives at the minute. So basically, as I was saying before, I write the whole film up on the wall with place cards of you know the scenes and who I want to talk to and how the film plays out. Um, and the very first card says, we need a hero. Because you can't just pre- present a film that is just full of stats or facts. Um, it just becomes a PowerPoint presentation. So you need some sort of emotional hook that draws you in and then makes you want to go along for, for 90 minutes. So I really needed a hero. And I had a couple of people that I'd, I'd lined up, and but they were one step removed from the experience. Um, you know, asking questions like why this happened to a family member or why someone. So... 
not devaluing their experience, but it wasn't quite what I was after. Um, and then one day I was actually at work early January and I was finishing off the treatment and I usually leave work about six and I left work about seven because I was just so into it. And I was driving home and the radio station that I usually listen to wasn't playing the show I usually listen to as creatures of habit. So I start flicking around and I hear, I flick over to Triple J, which is probably not age appropriate for me, but I, <laughs> I go to Triple J and I hear this voice and it's Joey on the radio and he's talking about his experience of what happened to him um, leading up to uh, him attempting to take his own life leading to Christmas 2019. So I just pull the car over. Like, I just can't believe what I'm hearing. 23-year-old plasterer from Newcastle talking about his experience. Um, and I just thought immediately, this is, this is my guy. This is, this is him. Um, basically, I'm not sure if your listeners would know the story, but he, he lost his leg um, after he attempted to take his life and has been in about two years recovery since then, physically, emotionally, spiritually, trying to come back from that. Um, night um, and he being on the radio just meant to me that he was in a good place that he wanted to share his story um, and he's he was the everyday man he was you know he wasn't eloquent in any way but he was full of spirit um, and full of fire and I just thought well this is the guy so then I had to find him so I all I knew that he was Joey from Newcastle and he was a plasterer so I took those clues I became I say I was an internet sleuth uh, he calls me a stalker, um, but I tracked him down on Facebook and uh, I just said to him, what are you doing tomorrow after work? And he said, I live in Melbourne, he lives in Newcastle. And he said, I knock off at four, I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. And I said, how about a beer? And he said, okay. So I flew up to Newcastle the next day and um, we sat in his backyard and had a beer. And I did that for a couple of reasons. One, to just show uh, my commitment to what I was doing, but two was just to see where he was at with his journey and also make do my duty of care and make sure that he was in the right spot and he had enough support around him um, that he could go on that journey. So I had to make sure that he was in contact with his mum, that he had people that he was living with, um, that he had a support network of friends and he was in a really good place. He was bursting to tell me his story and I had to kind of slow him down and go, let's wait till we bring a camera up here. Um, and, and so that's, that's how the Joey thing started. I mean, the thing about Joey is one that he's incredibly brave <clears throat> and, and secondly, he is the everyday man. So people connect with him. Um, and, and three, he wears his experience so visually. So, you don't have to constantly remind the audience um, that he'd gone through this experience at Christmas. You know, if you've got someone else, um, you might have had to remind the audience verbally or give other cues that this had happened. But um, for those who don't know or haven't seen him yet, he's he's an amputee above the knee, so he he either gets around on crutches or he wears a an artificial limb. So the audience is constantly reminded of what has happened to him. So. Um, he was just this character that just absolutely dropped from nowhere and um, that We Need a Hero card was uh, fulfilled on, on January 19th when I heard him on the radio. And what do you think, Georgia, during that? You were heavily into doing all the research and what was your thinking through that process? Because I think I was meeting you around the same time. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a really similar timing. Yeah. Um, I remember, I actually remember Shannon sent the recording to Stu, who's also co-director yeah. in the office and I, and straight away I had the same feeling. And then as, as so I was trying to help Shannon dig, but my stalking skills aren't as strong. So <laughs> <laughs> um, as we were trying to find him, I remember uh, I just had, yeah, it was just like a gut feeling. And I, I think I said to Shannon, he, yeah, he's our guy. And when we were talking about it, I agreed. Obviously, I didn't hear it on the radio like Shannon did, um, but there was just something about, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's just hard to explain. I just felt like I knew that the the risk was greater with, like, using an ordinary person, not a media-trained person, but I knew that it was going to be, like, such a strong story. Yeah, I think we use the term high risk, high reward. 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was a risk to take him on because he had never done anything, but the reward was was going to be very high. So, um, Most yeah, we made the right decision. Uh, I get feedback from that I've seen it to friends and family always say to me that Joey is a natural on screen. Yes. Well, he is. I think he's just super inquisitive as well. I'm, I'm yeah. sure we'll touch on this later, but uh, the session with you, which was very similar to all the sessions, which was basically he would just ask questions uh, and was really interested in the topic. And that was, he learned so much through the whole process. So he was genuinely interested in, in the topic. So I think that comes across. <laughs> um, so cinematography plays a really cru crucial crucial role in storytelling and it was very clear to me sitting in that theatre surrounded by people I'd never seen it and the response afterwards. It's just as filmmakers yourself and people that love telling these stories visually, what do you think it, it is about this kind of way of doing things that's so much more engaging than people reading a book or listening to a podcast or like I could see it palpably <laughs> and I can see it when people see these kind of things. What do you, what do you think it is about that? Uh, well, well, sorry, I'll just quickly, there's obviously visual cues, which help, which help that. But um, with this story, basically the overall design was to um, be as intimate as possible, um, be in, in Joey's space and, and try and experience what, he experiences and that comes from the way that we framed it um, to the way that uh, we kind of use different shots to help you feel in his space. Um, so it's, it's very intimate and it's, it's very him. Uh, but also with the way that we shot it, we, we shot with a very small crew. So that made his experience um, feel like he was hanging with a group of friends. So it's, it's not only the way that it's visually presented on the screen, it's the feeling that we created when we, when we shot it. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's probably like a huge learning thing for me from working with Shannon, that the crew environment, like it, if you really put it, you have to pull it back to that that first part and that crew environment is so important and it's probably, um, I would say our crew environment is one of the best ever. It's always a really, really positive, helpful, happy, funny environment and it it makes such a difference in bringing out the best in people and people feeling comfortable and being nice to people and respected and um and we always have so much fun on all sets like yeah. it's one of my favorite things to do which people think is crazy because <laughs> they're so, early times often <laughs> but as, yeah. you, as you sat in the audience watching people's reaction to it were you what what was your learnings from that what was your feelings about that were the parts where you expected them to respond I'm always interested in your take on what you produce and how people and where they react. What what was your feeling about that? Yeah, I always actually sit up the back um, and watch people's reactions. So uh, I know all the cues of where I think they should feel certain things or they should react a certain way. Um, but it's it's quite interesting that because um, we did some some cinema shows up the east coast and in Perth, it's quite funny that. In Melbourne, it plays a different way than it plays in Brisbane. So uh, I'm not sure what it is in Melbourne. We all wear black. It's kind of our yeah. unofficial <laughs> uniform. Um, and then you get up to Brisbane, and it almost played like a comedy in some spots. And I think when I thought about that and why, it was probably because Brisbane has uh, just an outdoor lifestyle. So I think they actually do have more opportunities to connect um, and, and be social. So I actually think that... Apply different to different audiences, but so that's really interesting observation you made there. So, do you mind expanding a little bit on the bits where you? Because I did, I, I saw it in Brisbane, so I hmm. can't comment on which I can't remember that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, what was your vibe in the the audience in in Brisbane? I think they rode the emotions a lot more, the highs and the lows. Um, there was a lot more laughter, um, but I remember playing it in Melbourne. It was almost eerily silent um, really i think it was really hitting home to a lot of people in melbourne and maybe because of the experience that we'd had for two years um over the covid years so uh maybe it hit home a, a little bit more but what what i did notice is that all the cues worked and people became very self-reflective afterwards yes um 
And I think people walking in didn't really know what to expect. And the, the first five to 10 minutes is quite heavy because we're really outlining what had happened to Joey. And then it's quite uplifting at the end. So people, even though it's uh, heavy content at the beginning, people live uh, leave really uplifted. So, And the other thing that I really noticed that people were really open afterwards. So in the Q&As, because Joey's so vulnerable through the whole thing, like he just lets himself be completely open. He's an open book um, that people just want to share their story afterwards because they've just had that experience. So we'd have Q&As where people would just tell all sorts of stories and experiences that they'd had. And then that would continue afterwards when we'd be outside. People would just open up and pour out their experiences. So I think that's probably the, the, the main thing I noticed. Like with my other films, people have usually got questions about the film or did, did I know this person or what happened with this? But people are really sharing their most intimate stories afterwards. So I think that's been my major observation about the, the audience reaction. And what about you, Georgia? What did you, you guys are putting this whole film together, right? You're coming up with the experts. You're mapping out this story. Tell me something that you learned personally uh, as well or did you like yeah I think like a lot of it I was already quite interested in this topic so some of it you know but it's it's put it's like having all the experts together and having all those opinions in one film hits home and I think the one part of the film and I'm not just saying this because you're interviewing me I'm quite a social person I I, I have lots of connections I'm very very grateful and my job is also quite social so I'm around people a lot of the time um, and I find it, it's quite easy for me, but you, when you talked about the fact that, that the brain is hardwired for stress, that probably, I realize that that, that is in all of us. Like, I think we can all relate to the fact that say you're tired or you've had a bad day, you just want to be alone and sit at home and maybe watch TV. But if you really think about it and you do that, you often don't feel better. You feel better even if you just go for a walk with one friend or you go for that dinner. You sometimes, I think we naturally kind of want to recluse, which is what you talked about, that we all can relate to that because obviously there's different levels to um, how we all connect and some people can connect more, some people can connect less, like less, we're all different. But that I feel like is the one thing we can all resonate with, even if you're completely extroverted. There's sometimes when you're, you feel you're too tired to do it. But you come out feeling better. That goes to the lockdowns then, doesn't it? Because what, because, and maybe why you got that effect in Melbourne, because we were told we had to not, we couldn't leave. And then your brain gets used to that. And so Mm. then then you get a lot of social anxiety coming back out again, because that's the other part of the hardwired stress part, right? It drives that social anxiety more. If you're already a bit anxious socially anyway, and yes. you haven't been able to interact, I mean, it's a double whammy. We mm-hmm. didn't have quite the same amount, I think, too, up here. Um, so that was a really interesting observation. I didn't notice that when I was watching the film. I was watching what you said, Shannon, how people, I was shocked at the openness. Mm-hmm. And because remember, the, the, these were people that a lot of them knew each other too. It's not mm. just like, yeah, so that was really interesting. Mm. So filmmaking is a really collaborative process, isn't it? So you must bounce off each other a lot and plus your crew and Joey too, um, I assume. Were there things that kind of changed anything in your arc? Like of that thing you put up on the wall, was there any moments where you went, oh, I didn't know that. So, oh, we might go a little bit here that we weren't expecting? Oh, 100%. I think um... – when when I looked at my cards on on the wall, like I'd have your name and then what you talk about. But when we actually went into interview and have Joey chat to you, I you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't remember steering the conversation too much. I was always open to exploration. So even though I had you that part of the story kind of mapped out. I never really knew what was going to come out of your mouth. I never really knew what Joey was going to ask. We kind of had a kickoff question. And I wanted Joey to just explore. And I think from memory, he asked you a question and then you spoke for about 35 minutes uninterrupted. I think. Um, Sorry about that. No, it was great. And I think Joey, <laughs> the camera guy, nearly fell over fainting because uh, he was holding the camera steady for about 35 minutes. But it was great content. And so you never actually know what you're going to get. I mean, um, we interviewed Hugh Mackay and mm-hmm. 
he his basic piece was one question that Joey kicked off and they spoke for half an hour and then we got to the end of it and we didn't do any more. It was just a pure natural. So those building blocks are very uh, natural and you never know what you're going to get into them or uh, out of them. But the, I wanted to do that because I wasn't the expert. Joey wasn't the expert. I was exploring as much as he was. So you have those building blocks, you think what they're going to look like, but then you get to the edit suite and they're all kind of different. So you have to figure out how to use those building blocks um, the best you can. And then the second part of that is that there was quite a few experiments that we did out in the public. So Joey did an a experiment where he, where he sits with a sign on a park bench that says, um, do you feel like a chat? And sat there and he was telling me there's, he's going to have 100 people lined up. So I was thinking, well, well, maybe that goes towards the end of the film where you know he's discovered all these things. And But on the day, basically no one came and spoke to him. So he was there for over... Uh, two hours and he had five people come and talk to him and he had probably over a hundred people walk straight by him. And it, that really put him in a, in a spot. So I remember he actually mouthed in his microphone. He's just like, get me the hell out of here because it, he didn't like being objectified and then ignored, even though there was an obvious plea for help on, on the sign. So, you know, that was one of those things where I thought it might sit at the back of the film and it ended up being at the front of the film. That kind of just showed the kind of issues that we've got in society. Another experiment we did in a lift where Joe was trying to give out chocolates and just the role that fear plays in our life of, you know, stranger danger and that, you know, don't talk to someone. Um, Let alone take their chocolate. Exactly. Um, it might be full because, of something. You don't know what's in there. Exactly. And, you know, it wasn't about necessarily take a chocolate. It was about that opens up a doorway for a discussion when you're in a confined space. It's like, would you like a chocolate? No, I don't. Ah, oh, how's your day? Yeah, it's good. But people just use their phone and just shut themselves off. So um, there was quite a few. And also the the final scene, which I won't go into too much, but where Joey sets up a, a picnic at the front of his house, you never know how these things are going to end up. So it ends up being at the end of the film, but it could have easily been at the start of the film. So when you interact with the public and, and with experts who are experts in the field, um, you never know what you're going to get. So you kind of get those building blocks to put your rough edits together. And then I think um, as I'd churn out, because I cut the film as well with the help of um, Stuart Van Eysen, one of the editors in here, um, we'd produce early rough edits of scenes and then we'd, we'd give them to Georgia and we'd all sit down and discuss them and, and those feedback loops came back. So we had quite a robust feedback loop we'd sit down in the office and watch the whole film and and take notes so uh always open to feedback i mean when when someone gives you feedback that the film's great that kind of doesn't help you you want yeah. them yeah. to pull it apart and tell them what what moments hit who they liked who they didn't like who dragged on those kind of things so there's yeah there's an absolute feedback loop in in everything we do and it's a really important part to getting the film right so, Georgia, you know, you picked a lot of the experts and everything. So you picked a part. How to, so for the people listening, the whole idea is how do we end loneliness in Australia with this big statistic of one in four? And and these filmmakers take us on an amazing journey to try and do that. And that's why it's uplifting at the end, because I don't want to give it all away either. But um, they take us on this beautiful journey of working out how it happened and what we can do about it. So, Georgia, how did you unpick that to pick the experts to take us on that journey? Well, I think because Shannon had done such a good job with the outline, we, and also, as he just said, we had a feedback loop. So we had it all mapped out. We need to fill this section. We need to fill this section. Now, as we found our experts, we started to put the experts' names up there. That also meant that there were certain holes that needed to be filled because some of the experts, like you go in thinking, we can have this person talking about this. And then you meet them and they're like, actually, this is where I would talk about this or because you're the experts. So as we as we started to put the names up, it also opened up, okay, we need to fill this gap. And we there was one expert who we did um, towards the end because we realised we have this hole now. We would really like to fill with this type of person. So, again, it was like filling, like making sure the outline was met but also making sure the feedback loop came back so that we we're producing the best thing we could. And so, making- for, so for the audience listening, do you want to just discuss, um, yeah, the ideas there? Like one was around, you know, community, one was around, you know, all of these things. Do you want to yeah. just name them in a few pillars just to for people to land on? Yes. Yeah, so we, we wanted someone who 
we could talk about the history side of things. So we had an anthropologist. Shan's got the names in front of me. Yeah, Dr. Andrew Dawson. Um, yeah, he's an anthropologist from the, the University of Melbourne and he talks about how loneliness has always been with us. It's just manifested itself in, in different ways. Um, but he's, he cites the Industrial Revolution as, mm. as the big shifting point because that basically took um, communities or um, larger family groups or family groups that joined together and it took the men away from that and they went and moved into town looking for prosperity and that kind of uh, separated them and they had to form new groups. So that was kind of the beginning of the end, I guess. Wow. It's amazing, mm. isn't it? Mm. And then, yeah, do you want to come up? Yeah, I can, I can realize. Obviously, um, Dr. Michelle Lim, who's the scientific chair of Ending Loneliness Together. So she's an expert in loneliness. And, and she was great because she really normalized loneliness for Joey. Um, Joey always thought that he was a bit of a freak because, uh, you know, it, it, she said this great line in one of the Q&As one time that she said, it's, it's easier to come out gay than it is to come out lonely. And that, that really floored me because uh, we've come a, uh, such a long way, but not far enough. So Joey would rather hide his loneliness than kind of talk to anyone about it. So she said it's a very normal feeling. And she actually, we spoke about the one in four stat. It's, she said it's getting closer to one in three now. So um, that's scary. Um, then we spoke to uh, Stephen Dark, a member of the Urban Development Institute, who spoke about how we develop our community so in the olden days we used to have the kitchen at the front and we used to have a passive uh, view of the street and you see kids and neighbors and all that kind of stuff but now with our our wealth of this country we build the biggest houses we ever or well, in the country in the world he said and we actually build our kitchen and our living areas to the back so there's no passive surveillance of the street at all so that has really affected the way that we interact as a community. Like sometimes we don't even see our neighbours. We just just drive straight into our garage and we don't even say hello to our neighbours. So that's a that's a big thing. Um, Simon Hammond, who I spoke of earlier, who's a professor of brand strategy and he's a belonging expert, and he he spoke about the need to belong um, and that we uh, need to belong so that we have someone to lean on when when things go wrong. Um, and that really connected with Joey because he that phone call that he made to Triple J, which I heard him on, Joey didn't actually realize, but he's part of that community. And that's why he felt comfortable ringing Triple J and expressing himself. And it's because Triple J stands for everything that he kind of stands for. So, um, yeah, he, he was amazing. I, I love speaking to him. Uh, Paul Gardner, who's an expert in brand strategy, branding and marketing, and he spoke about uh, the role that fear has in our lives and, and the way that, uh, bad news plays a role in our day-to-day. So because bad news is uh, and fear are, are selling tools, we get bombarded by it. Bombarded by it. So we, we start to think that the world's a bad place. And because of that, our anxiety levels go crazy. We start to shrink our worlds and, and um, it really limits our opportunity for connection because we think the world's a bad place. So you know, African gangs are roaming the streets and bikies are everywhere and that kind of thing. So he was really interesting to talk to. Um, as Georgia mentioned before, one of the last people we actually spoke to, which filled a gap that we'd had that a lot of people had mentioned was about uh, convenience and choice. And we spoke to uh, Dr. Ali Walker about how choice is actually shrinking our worlds and how convenience is sometimes stopping us from leaving the front door. So, um, you know, we can basically run our lives from the couch if we yes. want to. Which and is social a, media and smartphone yeah. addiction. Yeah, which is a crazy and leading into that. Yeah, uh, Dr. Rebecca Dredge, who's a clinical uh, psychologist who uh, spoke about how much time we actually spend on social media. And I think the stat that she came up with was seven and a half hours per day and which adds up to about 16 years of your life. Um, so we're not actually as busy as we think we are and we've got time to... Um, time to go out and meet people in real life and, and connect if you want to. And then your good self, um, which was incredible for Joey. He was, uh, after that four hours that he spent with you, we, we spent a lot of time debriefing that day and we've both made a lot of changes to our lives from your, your advice. So you spoke about how we need to de-stress our brain so that we can actually uh, 
you know, make that effort to connect and, and be in a space where we can connect. Um, so, you know, sh cold showers have definitely entered our orbit, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. I loved how you f finished it on that. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also that um, just our phone thing. So I don't turn the phone on uh, until 8 o'clock. Um, I sit in my lounge room, I have a cup of tea, I look out the window and, and be thankful for the things that we've got. And it goes off at 10 o'clock and I have uh, an hour or so of reading or um, just relaxing, chatting to my wife. Um, so those things absolutely affected us. Uh, Did and they then, help you is the question because that's what the film is to help people, right? It's not uh, just to lay out the – like your film is at your, the thing that you've both created and your team um, in Resolution Media is something of beauty, right? It's something yeah. the people are connected to. It's about the change element, right? You're trying to yeah. reconnect people. It's called the great separation, but the idea is to raise awareness and then give people the tools to bring it back together again. hundred percent. If we left it on all doom and gloom, uh, it wouldn't be great. So, you know, the film is basically structured that we outline what loneliness is and that it's a normal thing. Then the things that have happened in our world to kind of keep us separated. And then the last third is around the small things that we can change in our lives. And they are small things that we can change our lives to, to feel better connected. And then just a, a couple more experts, which is uh, Alan and Barbara Pease, who are body language experts. <laughs> and, you know, they, they're, they've been doing it for a very, very long time. And they're, they're just talking about how we're actually losing our ability to uh, read body language. Uh, and the generation now are actually seeking advice on, you know, how to actually talk to people in real life, which... Uh, is a real eye opener, and then um, and then obviously Hugh, who kind of bookends bookends our story, who kind of talks to Joey about how humans need each other, and then at the other end tells Joey what he needs to do to to lead a better life. So, you know, just such a rich picking of of experts and just a rich picking of knowledge. Just we're just so blessed to have the people that we were to have involved, and that and they. The thing yeah. people won't realize that haven't that's not in the film is just exactly what Joey's doing now. Yeah, well, that's another. That's you know from, uh, yeah, do, I can go into that if you want because he's. No, I, I'd yeah. like to because I think that I mean I know you couldn't. You guys had to pull a pin, but you didn't know either, did you, when you started? That. So please, if you're happy to expand, and that's not a problem, that'd be great. Oh no! About which part? About Joey and what he's doing now. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so basically, Joey's obviously in high demand for starters. So he started on the speaking tour. He's given up plastering, uh, and he's now becoming a mental health advocate. But there's something even bigger than that that's happened to him, where he was talent scouted on uh, at Perisher um, last winter. Um, it was only his third day of skiing. Um, he'd always been a snowboarder and he, he started skiing because he'd never done it before. So it was the first time he'd done it and he just had this feeling of freedom. So on the third day, he's ripping down the mountain and he gets a tap on the shoulder from the Paralympic team and saying, would you like to come and train with us next winter? Um, you've got some talent. Um, I know I shouldn't say this, but he told me, he goes, uh, they, they called him the prodigy. Uh, just because of how good he was after three days. So he's actually spent the winter in Perisher. He's been working like crazy. Uh, so he works night shift, uh, 10 hours overnight, and then he goes straight really? up to the mountain. Yeah, he goes straight up to the mountain uh, and trains for six hours, and then he comes home, sleeps, sleeps for six hours, and then he does it all again. So he did that five days a week. Um, and because of that, he's been invited to go to Colorado, over our summer, their winter, and train alongside the US Paralympic team. Wow, so, I had no yeah. idea about that bit. Yeah, so he's heading off on November 19th. Um, it's all really exciting, and basically his goal is to get a qualifying time to get into the uh, 2026 uh, Winter Paralympic Games in Italy. So That's an amazing story. Because, yeah. And you also live on the street with... I don't know if I'm allowed to say, am I? I can yeah, of course not, you can. Yeah, with, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Dylan Alcott, who was the Australian of the Year, and um, I also interviewed Kurt Fernley on the podcast a, a while ago. And this is a big community where they really support mm. each other. So being longing to that community is a really gr growth-growing, like, 
That's what Kurt tells me anyway on the podcast, how critically important that was. And they get they really help each other. Oh, 100%. Uh, we were, uh, Joe was at my place the other day and we just pulled up in the car and Dylan was actually going past. He was had a basketball and was heading down to the basketball court. And I waved to Dylan. Hey, Dylan. He's going, g'day, mate. And then Joey gets out of the car door and Dylan just goes, hey, how you going? And Dylan came over and they had a great chat and they were talking about what they're going to do. And uh, I think Joey's applied for the Dylan Alcott Foundation uh, for some sponsorship. But if there's any listeners out there that actually want to help Joey, he's got a GoFundMe page. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. I'll he's put got... the link up on the the pod, on the show and everything. Underneath. Yeah, great. Because it's actually it's, it's to go to the US. So he's training full time uh, over there. So six days a week. Um, and then uh, he's basically, you know, needs, he can't work effectively if he wants to train for that four months and get his qualifying time. So he needs some help and it's quite expensive with insurance accommodation. Like there's different insurance for his day-to-day and then insurance for when he skis. And then, so if, you know, if anyone's got 10, 20 bucks to throw into the GoFundMe page, what's um, what's his goal? What does he need? Uh, About 25,000. Is that Australian? Yes, Australian. So he's working pretty hard. Uh, as I said, he's he's doing two jobs at the minute, and he's also on the speaking tour. So um, he's working hard. So any support would be great. Close out um, the, and I'd love to have you back sometime. And keep it, it. What an amazing story that must make you feel so happy. All of your team must feel so good about this. It'd be so good to have the post uh, script on the film too, wouldn't it? To bookend that somehow but i guess maybe in the netflix one <laughs> i shouldn't say that i shouldn't say that should i <laughs> sbs sbs on demand it's streaming for free um but uh, georgia do you want to finish out um some thoughts about how the journey changed your life or uh what you're working on next or you know anything you'd like to contribute for the audience yeah, to think- understand I think um I think we all agree like we went into this experience you you obviously have no idea what you like what's going to happen and we all enjoy making films um you wouldn't do it if you didn't but we I think we all underestimated how much Joey would change our lives and we really are friends with him and I know I I think I can speak for Shannon too. I feel so like I think we feel so grateful that we got to go on this journey with him. It definitely changed our lives. It changed our perspective. Um, we now can call him a friend, like a genuine friend. Like we're actually going to an event for one of the DOPs. He's got a screening and we're all going together. Um, and I think it's an added bonus that people are liking the film and that the message is getting out there. But on a selfish level, the entire experience was just amazing. Um And we just feel very, very grateful. And as I said before, like every expert was just so kind and so giving of their time and open and willing to take the risk. You know, they hadn't worked with us before. They didn't know what they were going into. Um, There were just so many nice parts to the experience. Yeah. Made it extremely special. Yeah. It's such a great lesson, isn't it? We can learn from everybody. Yeah. when When we withhold judgment. And that's the really the essence of the message, isn't it? To reconnect with each other, we have to withhold judgment to see that we can learn and listen from others. Um, a person that I know really well who works a lot in First Nations communities around Australia, he runs uh, schools, primary schools, and he said to me the greatest lesson he ever learned was to sit in yarning circles and and be told just to listen. And he said, let silence do the heavy lifting. Mm. And he learned a lot in that experience and Instead of doing two, he was being done to, <laughs> and um, and he and it changed his life. So and and that really fits to your other uh, documentary film that you've won awards for called Goramal, which is in the back picture there of the video. So what's <laughs> so what's next, guys? Um, as we conclude, sleep, Selena, sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, films take a lot out of you. So um, I think we'll sit on it for the rest of the year. Um, and then, yeah, so the next year, explore some new topics. So you never know. I mean, you, I didn't know this one was going to happen until I kind of sat down with Simon and that, that was kind of the idea that just became 
um, the one. So you're always working on a few ideas, but yeah, just looking forward to the next journey. But for now, it's just being a little bit reflective. Um, I get messages every day, like a ton of messages every day about how this has affected people's lives. So just enjoying that journey at the minute. Um, yeah. yeah, and then we'll get stuck into something next year. Fantastic. Thank you. And I really appreciate um, that you brought that to the screen uh, for Australians and hopefully other people in the world will get to view it too at some point. Yeah, well, thank you for um, being part of it. I mean, that's been the joy from from my end about connecting with people like you who are so generous in their time and we're all pushing towards the same goal. So um, it's been a great experience to get to know you. So thank you. So everyone realise that we can end loneliness if we want to is the message. It's all in the small little things, right? Locally is what you keep pushing and throughout the film. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think one of the key things is that you might be in a really great place and um, you might not be lonely, but there's plenty of people around you that might be. So just being open, um, smiling, saying hello, giving a wave might absolutely change someone's life. So give it a try. Anything for you, Georgia? Yeah, the same. How do I how do I compete with that? Yeah, just the same. I would say I was talking about someone with, with someone this morning about incidental, um, the incidental communication with people. Your incidental interactions—they're way more important than you realize. When you go to the coffee shop, when you walked through like a supermarket aisle, eye contact—it really does make a difference. Smile at people ask some questions and it does, it selfishly makes you feel better. If you are like the more you give to people, it, it affects you. Absolutely. Um, I'd say that's like a really important takeaway. Just yes. even just once a day, just look up at someone and smile. And you, you just don't realize that either. No one, no one realizes the impact of these incidental parts of kindness, which Huma Kai talks about a lot too. And, and, and also people are happier the more they have those little pieces in their life oh and put your phone away at the dinner table or the coffee table that's what shannon will say too that's what that's our rule as well <laughs> yeah. totally it's a game changer <laughs> anyway thank you again um, thank you and i really look forward to seeing what's next and being part of that journey thanks Lynn. it's been great